I think so. Let me get logged in here. She got me over here. I'm left-handed, though, so that's good. He's just preaching to y'all over there. <laughs> y'all can tune in. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks for having us. Um, my wife, Megan, back there. This is Y'all are family and don't even know it. Um, it is uh, just such a kindred spirit here and such a, a love for you guys. We... Uh, Man, we love this place. We love Toledo. We love uh, just being here with Josh and Joy and this, their family. I mean, they really are, and uh, it's just, it's been fun. And um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm glad to have my family here. I got our four kids and uh, mama-in-law. I said it wrong earlier. I'm going to pay for it. And it's not mother-in-law. It's mama-in-law. And, uh, and she's not even from Alabama, but, um, and father-in-law who are just been amazing. They're more like mom and dad than they are. The in-law part really doesn't catch us. And then my beautiful wife, Megan, and we love her. And I'm, I'm clearly better at finding a spouse than she is. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's get started here. She'll, uh, so, um, stretch our reach was, uh, the series that we're in and, um, Joy sent me the um, the notes, and I was real responsible and didn't read them, but <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, so if we if I say something that they've already said, just take it as the Lord thinks you're a slow learner, and you need to hear it twice. <laughs> so, but God has God has really been stretching us personally uh, in this past probably six months. Uh, Megan and I. Our lives have drastically changed, and we've been in ministry for 15 years, and you would think that we would know some of this stuff even on accident, but God has just been, when I say 180 degrees, I mean 180 degrees. Our lives have changed drastically uh, in the past few months, and, and we even joke back and forth. as like, man, I really love where we're at with God right now. I really love what God's doing in our lives, but why did it take us so long to get here? And... Um, so I, I and I feel like uh, I've got a friend that says he says if you quote me he says you better date it because I'm really hoping that God's teaching me things and growing me and that in a few years I might not even believe what I told you that you were quoting me on and so um, and that's kind of where we're at I mean God has just really been showing us some amazing things and, and really just challenging who we are and so forgive me if that comes out in my stretch your reach and it doesn't have anything to do with reach but it might so if I rabbit trail a little bit we'll try to get to to uh, stretching your reach but let me open this water so as far as stretching our reach I think it has to start with just growing us and I pray that my prayer is for today that Napoleon, when he would go to take over land, he would basically, he would take all his men and they would get there on ships and then they would get everything that they needed off their ships and then they would burn their ships. They would set them on fire because there was no way that they were going to retreat. Wow. Retreat was not an option. And so they came and they got their ships and they got there and it was like, okay, we're either going to die here or we're going to conquer. And I pray that that's what today is for all of us. I pray that today would be the day that we set our ships on fire, that we set everything that we know from the past on fire, and it's just gone. I pray that, the, that just in the name of Jesus, that our past mindsets, our past insecurities, the things that we've struggled with and things you've been battling with for years, that today would be the day that it's all over. And so many times we, we get stuck in our circumstances and we get stuck in, in things that happen. And this is really one of the things that God's really been showing us is that just like Pastor Joyce said earlier, we're not here for us. And I'm not here for me. And I'm not, I'm not on this earth for me. I'm here for him. And so in that, my circumstances don't really matter at the end of the day. And Dawn, going what she's went through, and, and just bless my heart what you shared, Dawn. When you go through something tragic and you go through something 
The greatest comforter that ever walked the earth lives inside of you. The most secure, the most calming, the most passionate voice that you could ever hear will speak to you whenever you want to hear it. And so really, I don't have the capacity to have a bad day. There's, there's nothing that could give me a bad day. Now, my circumstances might change. And I love the story of the guy who wrote It Is Well With My Soul. He wrote it in early 1900s, 1899, and after the Chicago fire. And a lot of you probably know the story. But what was crazy to me is that the Chicago fire, basically, for those of you who don't know the story, the Chicago fire, this guy's mega rich. He's on top of the world. Big Chicago lawyer. And the fire wipes out like most of his possessions. And with what he has left, he basically says his wife was really struggling and family was really struggling with the whole transition of being mega rich, and now they're not. And so he says, okay, well, with what we have left, we're going to plan an extended trip to Europe. And basically, he's, at the last minute, he gets a call on business and says, hey, I've got to go. I've got to go do this for business, and then you guys go, and I'll be right behind you. So he sends them on a ship over to Europe, and they get in it, and the ship crashes And he gets a two-word telegram from his wife. He says, basically, alone, survived, is all he gets. And so he, then he finally hears the story, and so he's headed over there. And, and as the ship's captain that, that's taking him to Europe to meet his wife, he's lost his kids. And the ship's captain's taking him there, and he says, this is the place that they wrecked. This is the place where your kids are resting now. And he says, just the peace of the Lord came over him, and... That's when he began to write down, it is well with my soul. It is well. And how could he do that? The only way that he could do that is that he had the realization that the living God lives inside of him. No matter what situation happens on the outside, God lives inside of him. So if everything else is stripped away, it is well. So let's get into this. It has nothing to do with reach, but it it does kind of. I'll tie it in later. So... um, If we're going to be stretched, God has a pattern, I believe, of stretching. And I'm going to use three ways that God wants to stretch us this morning. So many times we think of of stretching as these big events that happen. Well, if I go to this conference, if I go here, this guy prays for me, that guy prays for me, this person, this lady prays for me, then I'm going to get it. Usually not. It's not really how God works. Sometimes he does, and that's awesome if he'll give you a shortcut, but you're you're the 1% at that point. We're notorious for expecting really big things out of big things and expecting really small things out of small things. For instance, we'll put all our eggs in the basket of a conference hoping that God's going to change our lives and God's going to make us this new person at this one event when every single day we wake up with a letter written specifically from God. Every single day we can get in the presence and one-on-one communication with God, the creator of the universe. And we minimize that, but we put all of our eggs in the basket of something big. And the church in America is notorious for doing this. Even at a church at a corporate level, we think, man, if we can just do this outreach, if we can just do this conference, or if we can just get this many people, then will grow, or then we'll see what God wants to do in our church, when in all reality, if we grow as the body, not in numerically, but if we grow, if we mature, if we grow up in the Lord, if we begin to love people like God loves them, if we begin to see people like God sees them, if we begin to see ourselves like God sees us, then there's going to be somebody else sitting next to you the next week, because it's just going to be natural that you're going to have outreach. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Everything God did was out of love. Everything. For God so loved the world. This is God loving the world in their sin. This is God loving the world in the worst condition that the world could be in. He gave. God set up a pattern there that when you love, you give. You don't receive. There's nothing in here that says... For God so loved the world that he was trying to receive something from the world because he obviously needs something from people, so that's why he sent his son. No, he loved the world and he saw the destiny and the purpose that the world had that he created it for, and he knew it wasn't going in that direction, so he sent his son 
to be the firstborn among many brethren, to give a pattern for how we live life, a pattern for the possibility that is open to the believer. Not the preacher, not the pastor, not the apostle, not the prophet, but the believer. So when we dive into this, we've got to realize if we're being stretched, we're being stretched through love. If we're reaching out, we're reaching out in love. If not, we're just doing a program. We're just doing something that God's really not going to bless. God moves through love. That's it. So, number one, stretch our reach in love. So many times we think that the greatest things God does is we always, especially as, as spirit-filled uh, charismatics, we attribute it to the miraculous. We attribute it to healing, signs and wonders. And those things are great and awesome. And God does some amazing things and still does them through believers every day. But what about the miracle of love? What about when somebody means you harm and you return it with love? What about the times when our flesh wants to rise up, but we cast down hate, and we cast down anger, and we respond in love? That's a miracle, because it's not, it's not you. It's supernatural. See, so many times we, we process things, and Proverbs says the things that seems right to a man oftentimes leads to destruction, and we, we process situations, or we process things that we've been in through the eyes of what seems right to a man. And it's usually destruction. But God wants us to see things through love. He wants us to see things through the way that he sees people. And we all know the Bible says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Oftentimes, we are loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, and that's the problem. Because we don't love ourselves. We've got a warped vision of how God sees us. We, we see God as, God, we're this... I use this phrase all the time. We're the old sinner saved by grace trying to get our way into God and trying to earn our way up there when God doesn't see that. Like I said, the Bible says that Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. When God looks at us, when God looks at you, when God looks at me, He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Righteousness meaning that you've never sinned. God's not looking at your sin. He's looking at your potential. And so when He looks at us, He's not looking at man, I really wish you were over here. He's looking at where you were and glad is where you are. For instance, if I'm going over to that wall, if that's the journey that I'm making, we're right here looking and seeing where we're not. God's looking and seeing where we used to be, and He's happy where we're at and knows the progress that we're on. And so many times we get caught up in the fact of where we're not, and God's looking at where we are. But when you look at how God looks at us, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 says this. It says, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. It says, but by His doing, His being Christ, when Christ came and died on the cross, by His doing, Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. And here's the three things. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's the three things Jesus gave us on the cross. He gave us righteousness, He gave us sanctification, He gave us redemption. Righteousness is speaking to the way God sees us. Like I said, once Jesus died, he bore our sins on the cross. So we're no longer full of sin. Jesus took our sin. So now I'm, what, I'm a new creation, right? The Bible said the old has passed away. Behold, all things are made new. So I am new creation. I am reborn. So when Jesus looks at me, he sees me in righteousness. And then it says that, and sanctification. Sanctification speaks to my life now. It speaks to how I live. So now, not only does Jesus look at me and see righteousness, now I'm living in righteousness because of what Jesus did for me and my love for Jesus. My lifestyle has changed. And so now I'm not learning to do something. I'm just becoming who I already am that Jesus sees me as. I'm not trying to be sanctified, or I'm not trying to get to sanctification. I am sanctified. I live a sanctified life, not because of something that I'm trying to do, but because of something that he's already made me. I'm just being who he made me to be. I'm just being his boy. And it's not some great thing that I have to do. It's just me waking up and living life with God. And then redemption. We have to realize that we are redeemed. Meaning, when he speaks about redemption, he's speaking about our purpose. My purpose is redeemed. So what was, what was the purpose? Well, if you go back to the garden, back to day one... 
purpose is to represent Jesus, represent God on the earth. So now I'm here as a mere image of Jesus Christ. I'm going to live my life because my whole life has been sanctified. The way I've, and now my purpose is redeemed, meaning restored to the original value, the original thing that God put me here to be. So for instance, if I'm restored to the original value, if I am redeemed, that means that God sees value inside of me. If God, was a, if God was an investor on Wall Street, do you think he'd be a good one? He'd, he'd probably be pretty good because he knows exactly what's going to happen. He'd probably be, make a lot of money really quick. He would not make bad investments. That's outside of his character. So when he says that you're redeemed and you're restored to your original value, and he says that I'm going to show you what your value is, I'm going to send my son everything I've got and put it inside of you, I'm throwing everything. I'm all in. This is like yeah. back in the poker days. Yeah. I'm all in. I ain't got nothing left. Yeah. And God's saying, hey, I'm all in on you. That's your worth as a child of God. <laughs> so we have to learn to see ourselves as God sees us or else we are going to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and it ain't going to be pretty. And they're going to kind of hope you stop until you figure out how God loves you. <laughs> so... Once we know how God sees us, we can correctly relate to others. I got ahead of my notes. I'm trying to catch up. (laughs) We have to realize that Jesus died not only to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us on earth. To show people exactly what Jesus was like. And we've oftentimes heard the old saying, what would Jesus do? And when I was growing up, they had those old bracelets, WWJD. And we think about that and we think, man, that's really, that's kind of corny. But no, really, what would Jesus do? Like, what would Jesus do? When somebody cuts him off in traffic, what would Jesus do? I mean, really, what would Jesus do? He probably wouldn't react the way I've been reacting. Can you imagine how, can you imagine Jesus talking to the disciples and just being like, look, I, guys, I really just can't deal with the crowds today. They're, they're just, they're so ungrateful. I do all this stuff for the crowds. I, I fed them five, I fed 5,000 of them. They, they just constantly want, they constantly want, they constantly want. They're just really not, they're just really not appreciating everything I'm doing. Can you imagine reading Matthew chapter 17, verse, Jesus was disgruntled with the crowds and really, really annoyed with people today. <laughs> Can you imagine that? See, we would never think that Jesus would think that way, but in the same sense, how can we think that way? In the same sense, how does it seem right in the eyes of man for us to think that way and for us to justify, well, I just need my loan time. No, you don't. You need to serve. You need to give. You need to pour out everything that you have. Remember, because you don't have a retreat. We got rid of that. We're here to die in love. And 1 Corinthians is the best, and we all know the. 1 Corinthians 13, the excellence of love. And I want to read it for you, but as I read this, I don't want you to think of, well, this is, the, this is the scripture I've heard 30 times on love. No, I want you to think of every situation in your life, every, everything that might arise in your day, and think of handling it in this way. Verse, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13 says this, says, I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become noisy, gong, and a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And this is it. Think of every situation. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Wow. Love is not provoked. It does not take account of wrongs suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Think of every relationship in your life. If you and I and all of us 
reacted this way, what would our relationships look like? What would our marriages look like? See, we have to realize that nobody owes us anything. We, what seems right to man and what we've all probably said or have heard people say is, well, those who are closest to me can hurt me the most. Why? If that's true, then we're not moving in love. Well, you don't understand. They, they can hurt me the most. No, you don't understand. They don't owe you a thing. And if you're really loving them, you and I can't get any, we don't need anything from them because it's love. Love doesn't seek its own. So if love doesn't seek its own, how can I get dis- disgruntled with my wife? Well, she's not loving me in my love language. Well, maybe I'm just being selfish. She's not doing this and, and she's not doing that. Well, it's not about what she's doing. It's about me loving. And we oftentimes get caught up in the, well, the people who are closest to us can hurt us the most. That's, that's not true if we're moving in love, in Christ's love. Now, the love of the world, yeah. The love of the world, you can fall out of love in the world. Jesus said, husbands, love your wives in a culture where they, your dad picked your wife. It wasn't about going to the movies and falling in love. There wasn't no falling in love. That was a chosen, arranged marriage, and he told, and the, he said, husbands, love your wives. Why do you love? Because love's a choice. It's who you are. When we learn to love people the way God loves people, immediately the impact that we have on our sphere of influence, on those around us, will change. Immediately, everything, our reach will naturally be stretched, not because of anything that we're doing, but because of who we are and because of how we relate to people. I heard a, a guy I've really been listening to, a pastor, and he says it this way. He says, when you truly love people, you begin to break for people, not because of people. When I truly see people the way God sees them, I begin to break for them, not because of them. Because remember, they owe me nothing. They, they can't do anything to sway my love. So now I break for them because I see that they're not being where God's called them to be. And I see the potential that's on them that God's called them to. And I see that they're not there. So now I'm breaking for them, not because of them. Because wow. they don't have the power to ruin my day. How many of y'all been there? I've been there when... When you're praying for your wife to have a good day, so you'll have a good day. <laughs> and we want to constitute that as praying for our wives or praying for our family. Lord, I've been praying for my family. No, you've been praying for yourself out of selfishness, and that prayer doesn't go to heaven. <laughs> not that my wife yeah, would Lord. not that my wife would ever my wife would never do that, but speaking for you guys, of course. <laughs> But it's all in love, how we love. And we've got to learn to relate to people the way God relates to us. Love holds no account of wrong. It's gone. It's over. You can't go back and change what happened. You can choose love moving forward. So many times what seems right to a man is love holds no account of wrong until we get into a certain argument and then it gets brought up again, the thing that we didn't hold account. There is none of that. It's over. It's done. Because love is not seeking its own. The second thing, the second way that God's going to stretch our reach, and this might come weird to you, but it made sense to me, so I've got the mic, so we'll just go with that. (laughs) God will stretch our reach in trials. Trials in your life will put you on a platform for God. And it's not that God puts us in the trials. It's not that God causes the bad things to happen. But God will take what the enemy meant to destroy you and use it to promote you. If we look at Paul in in Acts 27 and 28, here's Paul. He's in this storm for what seems like forever. He's on house arrest, being imprisoned. He's, He's being shipped, I believe, to Rome at this time. He's trying to get there. He's been trying to get to Rome. And he's going to Rome and... He's stuck on this boat, and they're in, uh, the waves are crashing, and, and Paul knows. God's already told him, look, you're going to crash. Nobody's going to die. It's going to be okay. And Paul relays this message as a word of knowledge, but 
And so they start dumping things over the side and all this. And we know the story. Paul, they wreck. They have a shipwreck, which is not a good thing, I'm sure. Even if God's already told you nobody's going to die, it's still not good when you're on an ocean. You don't know how far land is. It could be 100 miles away. But you know, hey, nobody's going to die. So there's that comfort, I guess. That's like... (laughs) That's like God saying, hey, you're going to go be in a car crash, but you're not going to die. It doesn't mean you're not going to be scared to death as you're going into the car crash. So here's Paul, and he goes through this. And you know what we don't see in Paul? We don't see Paul saying, God, you know, I, I, I saw what you did uh, when the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea. I saw how you parted the waves. I know you have control of the ocean. Hey, could you just kind of calm this down? God, I know that when you were in the boat with the disciples, I heard them talking. They told me how you... You stop the storm. God, I know you have the power over the storm. You don't see any of this in Paul. You don't see Paul complaining, God, I, I, I know you can fix this, so why don't you just go ahead and stop the storm? And, and none of, You don't see any of that. You don't see Paul calling up his friends, complaining of, of the situation that he's in in life. No matter how traumatic it is, you don't see any of that. You just see Paul embracing the trial that he's in and just kind of loving God through it all. And so... They have a wreck, ship crashes, they end up on the island of Malta, and in this you see how Paul responds. You see, here's the most, probably the most knowledgeable man on earth, and the Bible says that, that if he stacked his, basically his education, he could go with anybody. He was one of the smartest people on the earth. And you see somebody who's incredibly gifted in knowledge, you see somebody who's one of the greatest thinkers on earth, and then when he has a ship crash, you see him... He's not trying to organize things. He's not trying to fix things. He's serving because he's love. And so he's up. He's picking up sticks to make a fire. You know, how many of us would say, hey, you go do this. Go pick up those sticks. But not Paul. He just goes. He's picking up sticks. And, and he's really manifesting Jesus at this point because Jesus would probably serve. So Paul goes and he's... He's picking up sticks, and, and Paul realizes here that, that his Christianity, that his calling is not to get a better situation in life. And so many times we, we think, well, if I, just, if I get everything straight, and then I'll come to Christ, and, and God will just kind of work everything out, and, and everything will be good. No, God works everything out in spite of the bad that happens, not, not stopping the bad from happening. Because God very easily could have calmed the storm, got Paul there. He could have transported Paul for all that matters. He could have just said, all right, Paul, you're in Rome now. Have a good day. But no, he makes him take a boat, and the boat gets in a wreck. And here we see how Paul handles this whole thing. So there's no complaining. There's no nothing in Paul. And then Acts kind of awkwardly ends, and it doesn't really tell what happened in Malta. We know that Paul gets there, and he's... He's serving, and they kind of look at Paul as being a prisoner, so nobody's really paying any attention to Paul at this point. They're thinking he's just a slave. And all of a sudden, he gets bit by a snake, which snakes are no-nos. I don't do snakes. If you guys ever, God ever reveals to you guys to start handling snakes, I won't be back because I don't do snakes. (laughs) Snakes are awful. So, and I live in Alabama. we got snakes everywhere. I was under a lady's house the other day, and this huge big snake skin is, uh, 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 it's the worst feeling in the world. When you're crawling under a house, I work for AT&T, so I got to get under houses and up telephone poles and everything else. So when you're under a house and all of a sudden you see a snake, it's a terrible feeling because you can't go anywhere. You're just there. It's horrible. And I I don't like snakes, and so they're good to shoot at, but that's about it. So, so we're, Paul gets bit, and I don't know if Paul was scared of snakes. I imagine from the way he handled this, he sure doesn't seem like it. He gets bit, and he doesn't die, and these people are expecting him to die immediately because he's been poisoned. And so now Paul goes from being this slave to now he's all of a sudden, they think he's a god. And so... Any preacher, not just Paul, any preacher says, okay, well, I'm going to tell you how I didn't die. And I'm sure that's what happened here with Paul because we know this of Paul or we know this of Malta. We know that now, even today in Malta, there's a huge statue of the Apostle Paul on that island. There's also 
a beach that they call St. Paul's Beach. So I'm sure that after that happened, Paul just totally wrecked Malta for Jesus. But none of those lives would have ever been impacted had Paul gotten out of the situation that he was in. And so many times we're trying to pray God out of our circumstances have God pray us out of our circumstance rather than embracing the circumstance and standing on the platform that Jesus has given us. How can we ever preach that God is the peace, that God is joy, that God is hope if we never go through hopeless situations? There is a platform that God will put us on if we handle the situation right. Well, you're going to be put on a platform either way. You're either going to pull people closer to Jesus or further. So Paul has this huge impact on Malta, and it's all because of how he handled the situation. Third point, and this is the last point, God will stretch our reach through faith. He'll grow our faith and stretch our reach through faith. Like I said in the beginning, God stretching our reach is not God just making our arms longer because then we'd be pretty goofy looking. (laughs) We'd just have really long arms. God stretching our reach is God growing all of us, growing every part of our body, growing us in intimacy, growing us in in our relationship with Jesus, growing us in everything. And so that as we grow as Christians or as we grow in our Christian life, now we have a further reach naturally because we're bigger, basically. And we're more mature than we were before. So faith... There's this great illustration I heard this guy give on faith, and it's probably the best illustration I've ever heard, and I'm going to try not to murder it. But basically what he says is this. He says that there's three components involved in our lives. There's fact, there's faith, fact, faith, and experience. There's three components. In fact, we would know to be the Word of God. We would know that to be truth. And so there's this task that's given, and he says that basically he says that there's this tightrope that's got to be walked across. And it's going across this canyon, and it's impossible. It's something that could never be done. Not even tightrope walkers, because this is moving back and forth. Not even the best of the best could do this. It is an impossible task. And so he says this. He says in the story, he says that, uh, that fact just gets up and walks straight across the tightrope. Didn't even skip a beat, just walking like he was walking down the sidewalk. Walked straight across it. That's what truth, that's what fact did. And faith is sitting there looking at it and saying, man, that was, that was awesome. How did he do that? And so faith gets out on it. And it doesn't have the same, same reaction. that He's staggering back and forth. But as long as faith focused on fact, he could walk. But the minute he took his eyes off fact, he would begin to stumble and was about to fall until in that experience kicked in. And experience was nagging him and and talking about all the ways that it had failed before. Experience was talking about all the things that had messed up in his life before until eventually faith falls because experience was louder than fact because he took his eyes off fact. How true is that for every promise in the Word of God? Fact, truth goes across the canyon to the other side, and now we've got to follow. Jesus lays out this impossible life and says, okay, do what I did. Do greater things than I did. And now our eyes has to be fixed on Jesus as we walk through life. But what's crazy is the more that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more that we the more that we go through things and fix our eyes and do the right things just and follow fact, follow what fact has done, the more we do that, the more experience starts to line up with fact. The more experience starts to say, hey, you remember that time that we went through this, 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 and this? You remember how God was a comforter in that? Do you remember how God provided here? Do you remember when we didn't have the money to do this, this, and this, and all of, all of a sudden came this? And now you're standing at a new canyon And it's even bigger than the one you had before. But now experience is talking and saying, hey, remember when God provided here. And now it's so much easier to walk across that because experience is partnering with fact. But it won't happen unless we step out in faith. Romans 12 verse 3 says that each of us have been given a measure of faith. It doesn't say how much. It just says we've each been given a measure. 
Every person has been given a measure of faith. The Bible also talks about the gift of faith, but we're not talking about the gift of faith. I think that every believer, every person on earth is given a measure of faith. So Matthew 25, if you have your Bibles. Matthew 25, verse 14. And this, we oftentimes preach this and talk about money, but it's, it could apply to that, I guess, but it wasn't what he was talking about. This is a spiritual, it's the parable of the talents. It's a spiritual principle here. All right, for it is just like a man who goes out on a journey, who called, who called his own slaves and entrusted them with his possessions. To one he gave five talents, to two, or to another two, and to another each, according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the, immediately is a big word there. Immediately, the one who received the five talents... Uh, went and traded them in and, and gained five more talents. In the same manner for the, the one who received two talents and who received one talent went and he dug a hole and he buried it because he didn't want to waste the master's money. And I'm not going to read this whole thing, but we all know what happens. The master comes back and he's pleased with the other two. Even though the one didn't make as much as the other, he was still just as pleased with him. But the one who took his talent, the one who took his faith and buried it, he said, you wicked and lazy servant. And see, what that is, is that is a spiritual principle for all of us concerning the measure of faith that we've been given. The measure of faith that we're given. We have the choice that we can invest that faith into the situations that we go through or we cannot. And how we invest it, whether if we bury it and kind of do what seems right in the eyes of man, or if we take our faith and say, okay, this is the principle that says in God's word that I can heal the sick, that I can do this, I can do that. I can return love for hate. I can do whatever God's called me to do. And so when I go through this, I can invest my faith into the situation, and my return obviously is going to be greater faith. It's going to be more faith. So the more and more that we begin to invest, even the guy who started with two, if he took those two and he invested and did the same process, now he's got four. Takes those four, does the same thing. Now he's got eight, does the same thing. Now he's got 16. So you see the guy even with two has hope of getting to this huge immeasurable amount of faith and huge immeasurable amount of things for God to do in his life. But it's all in how you treat what God's given you. So if we take that measure of faith that we all have and we invest it even in the small things and say, you know what? God, there's, I have faith for that if I read this Bible, I'm going to get closer to you, and I'm going to begin to know you and know your ways more than ever before. So if I invest it here, then it's going to be bigger. And it, just like I said in the parable or in the story that that guy tells, experience will start to line up with faith. And eventually your experience will be cheering you on for the things of God and not for the ways of man. Notice David didn't go directly and fight Goliath. There was a process. There was a process. He had to go through the lion and the bear before he went to Goliath. God's not just going to stretch our reach to make our reach greater. He's going to stretch our reach to make us more like him. God doesn't give us faith so that we'll have ministries. God's not worried about our ministries. God gives us faith so that we look like Jesus. And we represent who God is in a fallen world. Can you imagine the difference of how our lives would be if we handled everything the same way Jesus would handle things? And I'm speaking as somebody who did 12 years of ministry, what I thought was right. But if I really sat back and said, how would Jesus handle this? What would happen different? How would my faith look different? Let's pray. And Josh, if you want to play something. Jesus. Father, I pray that just as we talked about, God, that today would be the day 
that our boats are burned. God, I pray that today would be the day that everything changes. God, that our lives are different from today. Father, I thank you for the journey that we've all been on, God, and we've all got journey, we've all got scars, we've all got these things that we've been through, God, and I thank you for all of that. But God, today is different. God, I pray that today would be the mark of a new journey. Father, I thank you for all the potential that's in this room. God, the potential to win Waterville over a hundred times. But God, that today would mark the day that that begins. That the journey of seeing our families saved, the journey of seeing our friends saved, the journey of seeing our lives drastically changed, marriages restored, relationships restored, starts today. God, that no longer will we look to love as we've loved before, but God, that we'll look to love as you love and give and expect nothing in return. Pastor Josh is going to sing, and if we could all stand, and Megan, you can sing if you want. Do you have something? Um, I just want to bring a challenge, but also uh, it's an encouragement, really. But when we hear a, a sermon like this, it's it's really easy to just say, like, that's another sermon, and that was really good. But a revelation that the Lord gave me a few years ago about the beggar is we always talk about Peter and John, and he says, you know, look at us, pull them up, and we kind of base it off of Peter and John. But the Holy Spirit opened up that scripture to me and said, but what about the beggar who is from birth into his 30s? All of a sudden now, he had to make a choice. Although he was able to walk, he had to make a choice the next morning that he was no longer a beggar. And what I mean by that is there's so many times where God will give us these awesome revelations that can be life-changing. So it's the equivalent of him saying, stand up and walk. But what we do is our mindsets are still beggars. So the beggar had to change what he did during his, his day. He had to maybe get a job. He had to change the way that he ate, the way that he interacted with people. His entire life had to change. From birth, he was used to being a beggar. So when me and Scott, you know, we talk about, you know, we've been in ministry for 12 years and there's something that God's been doing. The only thing that has changed is it now we're saying, God, you've, you've stood us up with this revelation of love, but we have to choose every single day whether or not we're going to be a beggar or whether or not we're going to be what God's called us to be. And the choice is ours. That's the thing. The beggar could have been a beggar that now can walk. Do we understand that? He, he, he was pulled up and now he can walk. He can get a job. He can have a family. He can get married. He can live the, not the American dream, but the American dream. But he still could have woke up that morning and gone to the same place and had use of his legs, but still begged for money. And that's what we have to understand is that when Jesus gives us a revelation like this, it's not just a good sermon. It's not, it is literally the truth that sets us free, free from ourselves. The, the, ser the guy that we're talking about, Dan Moeller, just YouTube him. You'll be glad you did. But he says, Christianity has turned into how can Jesus bless my life when really what it's about is becoming like him. So it's not, 
It's not that the, that Jesus healed the beggar so that now he can become an evangelist and see all these people saved and now he can walk and his life can be easier. He healed the beggar so that the beggar could now be like him. That everywhere that he go wherever he went he could impact people because of what the Lord did in his heart. And so my challenge to you and encouragement <laughs> is when we wake up tomorrow morning there's always a Monday morning in life, okay? Where the rubber meets the road, where life hits us, where bills hit us, where busyness hits us. It's not about this long drawn out process. Well, sister, the Lord's working on me. No, listen, grab a hold of the revelation, wake up tomorrow and believe that you are exactly who God's called you to be. And we won't keep this back and forth thing. It, it can really be instantaneous. I'm not saying that there's not a process to the Lord, but what I am saying is that when it comes to dying to ourselves and getting ourselves out of the way, it can be instantaneous. You wake up and you start believing what Jesus says about you, and it is that easy. And so my prayer for us tonight is when we or this morning, whatever today is, we drove through the night, so it could be any time of the day. <laughs> is don't be, whether you've been saved for 20 years like me and Scott, or 30 years, or you just got saved. I'm super thankful where God has us, but I still regret the past 12 years of not walking into a place of, I'm, I'm not a beggar. This is what Jesus did, now I can walk. So don't wake up tomorrow and just say, well, that was a nice sermon. Understand that it is the power to change your life, change your marriage, change your finances, change everything about who you are. And it can be instant. And so that really has nothing to do with what this guy said over here. But it has changed our life. Not because it was a different sermon, but because we actually grabbed a hold of the revelation. And that's my prayer that it's not just words, that this light, love thing, it really is possible to not ever be offended again by a human being. That sounds so far out, but it really is possible for somebody to, that is the closest thing to you to hurt you and for it to not affect you at all. It's, it's possible to not have to struggle with sin. It's possible to not have to be offended every time somebody doesn't do the thing you want them to do or respond the way that you want to respond. Yeah. Why? Because our heart is becoming like his. I, I've never come down to the altar and heard Jesus say, hey, listen, you came down here last week for the same thing. So until you get your crap together, I'm just a little bit too hurt to give you grace and mercy this morning. So next Sunday, if you can do really, really good this week for the next six days, come back to the altar and then I'll talk to you like I know that this is who you're called to be. But this is the thing, that's not what Jesus would say, but that's how we respond to people that hurt us. We say, yeah, but I'm not gonna give you my love, I'm not gonna give you my trust until you're trustworthy. But here's the thing, we're trustworthy. We are the love. It doesn't matter what anything happens around us or what people do. We don't hold people not becoming who God's called them to be over their heads. So when your spouse or your best friend or your mom or your in-laws or your whoever don't respond in love, the reason it can't affect your day is because it's not about them. It's about him. What would he do? So I'm not the preacher, but wake up tomorrow, <laughs> wake up tomorrow and start believing the words that have been spoken. Do not make it another sermon. Amen. Pass the plate. That's a good thing. It's so true. So many times we take that hurt or that disappointment or whatever and completely alter our whole day. And all of a sudden we've made an idol out of that person because they're controlling how we're doing it and God's not controlling how we're doing it. Nobody has that authority over you. Like I said, the greatest comforter that ever lived is inside of you. So no matter what happens, you're okay. You are okay. 
you do not have the capacity to have a bad day because he didn't have a bad day even in the worst point of his life dying on a cross father forgive them they don't know what they're doing so what I want to do is I want you guys just to worship and we'll just have a song here and and if all of us could just kind of get alone with God and I know we're not alone but get alone with God and just kind of put the put fire to the ships there is no going back and God, if you get alone with God and your heart is to change and your heart is to be different, I promise you, he'll start speaking and pointing out some things. And as he does, repent, it's over, get over it. You're a son, you're a daughter and move on and be a son. When tomorrow comes, when Monday morning hits, your feet hit the ground. I'm a son of the most high God. I do not have the capacity to have a bad day today. The joy of the Lord is in my heart. I'm ready to tackle this Monday no matter what happens. I've got... I've got the, the fix to any problem that comes in my way because Jesus lives inside of me. So no matter what happens today, no matter what my boss that I can't stand, no matter what he does, he's not going to rob my joy because now I love him because I see that he's not being who God's called him to be, that God's got more for his life. So now my heart's going to begin to break for him and I'm going to begin to lift him up and I'm going to pray for him. You see how that totally changes rather than just, Lord, help me get through the day. There's no more getting through the day. You're called to conquer the day. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into this time of worship, God, I pray that each and every one of us, Father, would grab hold of who you are and how you look at us and how you view us and how you view others. And God, that we would begin to look just like you. God, I pray that we could truly say, as Paul said, to follow me as I follow Christ. God, that we could look to those around us and say, you know what, when I go through tragedy, when I go through trial, this is what you do. Follow exactly what I did because I'm following Christ. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that each and every one of us, God, God that tomorrow morning would be a new day. God, I pray the sun would come up just a little brighter. Father, I pray a glow about every one of us. God, I pray that as we walk into work Monday morning, God, that even those around us would say, man, there's just something different. Yeah, there's something different. I'm a child of the Most High King. My daddy loves me. He's proud of me. My picture's hanging on his fridge. In Jesus' name, we would just get along with God.